Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 315. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have back with us the internationally acclaimed game designer and owner of Shoestone Publishing and our good friend, Andrew Granowski. Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Barney. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Great to see you again. So you 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 came on, as I say, um, back in episode two fifteen, and now we say this is episode three fifteen, and you're really talking about your 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 book that was part of Magonomia, and now you are uh, talking about you have in early development another book. Is it is Drentera? part of Magonomia or this is a separate no, world? No, Drentera is a completely different thing. Drentera is a fantasy setting. It's a world for role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's not connected to any particular rule system. It's system agnostic. And that okay. does mean that it's all lore and plot ideas and background and no rules and mechanics. Um, there are plenty of products out there that, that integrate the rules with the world, but uh, this, is, this is one that doesn't. Um, I, I think that there are plenty of people out there writing great rules, and I don't want to enter that crowded field. Um, mm. I think what I have to offer is on the narrative side um, to create a setting for game masters to do their own original storytelling and provide them with a rich context, uh, a lot of ideas and stimulation to do that. Because you're you've been a big proponent and fan of, of the fake core system. Um, I have been, yes. And, and it doesn't mean you, yeah, not losing the, the past part. Like you still are a, a fan of that, right. the the fake core system. Yes. So what made you decide to say, you know what? I'm just going to make this a, a, just a, a settings and not put it into any type of rules on this. I wanted to reach a broad audience and I know that there's an, a big community who plays fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. I think everybody in the role-playing hobby knows that. Right. And I also remember uh, third edition Dungeons and Dragons, which um, eventually spun off into Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. And um, Pathfinder is good. Now, each of these have their own settings. Um, and I realized that there are actually a lot of lesser known games um, that also have a following um, that don't have as well developed a setting as Pathfinder in D&D. &D. Mm. And I'm a bit of a game mechanics geek i like the fake core system uh i like um the hero system uh and uh there are actually quite a lot there's fantasy age there's 13th age which has its own world but it comes with just one and maybe you'd like to try something different but still use your favorite rules and that's really the idea is you can use your favorite rules or even here's an advantage that occurred to me after I made this decision. Even if you like to experiment with rules and try different systems, you can keep the same story. You can keep the knowledge of the world 
if you experiment with different rule systems because mm. the the rules um, are just completely separate. For those that like create games or for those that actually create worlds and for those that really understand what a tabletop role-playing game is, like, you know, having them scratch their head listening to this is like, but how do you create a magic system without creating rules on that? Like, how, right. how would you do that? Well, um, I, I don't entirely create a magic system. I don't need right. a magic system. All right. Uh, but we do have to ground the, uh, the world in, in something relatable in, uh, and we are aligning broadly with Dungeons and Dragons. And now there's a family of Dungeons and Dragons descended games. Most recently, Tales of the Valiant from Cobalt Press is a fork of the 5e system reference document. Uh, so now there are there's Dungeons and Dragons, and it's got two descendants: Pathfinder and Tales of the Valiant. Dungeons and Dragons has has had uh, just a big influence on popular culture, and even if you don't play it, you know what Fireball is. You um, recognize some of the tropes, and that's our basis for Drintera. So how, what is specifically when you mentioned Drinteria, you have like these, you know, if you go to presentworldanvil.com, it has some mm -hmm. like playable lineages. How, what would, how would you define lineages? Oh, um, lineages are what uh, in older versions of D&D is known as race. Mm -hmm. um, the, the way race is handled wasn't satisfying to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm following the example of Tales of the Valiant, actually, in dividing what was formerly known as race into lineage, which is the physical bloodline that you descend from, human, elf, maybe dwarf, orc, or some mix of those. Um, and you, So you can have multiple lineages. And heritage is the culture. And again, a character can have multiple heritages if they want. I want people to be able to make characters who are like real world people right. who do have, um, who can have um, uh, multiple lineages, multiple heritages. Right. Without creating a system in place, do you see that there is more freedom or constraints into making a, a making a system neutral game like this? It's, it's more freedom, uh, okay. I think, because I can cherry pick elements from different games and, and work them into the setting. And I can also gloss over certain elements that I don't want to use and say, well, you can incorporate that if you want, but I'm not going to present it to you. I'm not going to talk about it, really build it into the world. Mm -hmm. And there are two things um, that come to mind that occur in other fantasy games that are not present in Drinterra. And one of them is gunpowder hmm. uh, because we're looking for uh, a feel of heroic mythology, which I'm sure we'll get to in the interview. Um, and gunpowder is not what I think of when I think of Jason and the Argonauts or Beowulf or 
now I am drawing a blank on, um, you know, heroes like, oh, Maui from Polynesian lore and so on. Um, Gunpowder is part, it's built into the Pathfinder rules. There's a gunslinger character class and so on. And if you're playing Pathfinder, you can, I think, without much effort, um, add gunpowder to the world if that works for you. But um, in my view, it wasn't compatible with the uh, with the tone that we're trying to set, or not completely compatible. Um, and another thing that we dispense with, that's very much part of Dungeons and Dragons, is alignment. Mm. And I like alignment. I like the alignment charts. You know, they go around on memes. You've probably seen these on social media. You know, uh, what's your alignment based on how you? put back a shopping cart and so on, right? Alignment's fun. Um, I think that I've been playing using alignment. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for over 40 years. And I think that I have peaked on that. I think that if you relax the assumption of making it part of the character, whether they're good or evil, whether they are aligned with law or chaos, whether they are somehow orderly or disorderly in their temperament. Hmm. Um, if you, if you say, let's not encode that, let's not make that an attribute of the character. Um, it opens up more narrative possibilities than you give up on Hmm. in my view. Um, so, for example, werewolves in Dungeons and Dragons are evil creatures. Okay, that fits with certain kinds of folklore. Uh, I saw on a Facebook group about mythology and folklore last week um, that there's an Irish shape changer changes in Irish folklore into a wolf. And I don't have the name of it. Um, I'm bad with names. I don't remember the name of it. And they were defenders and protectors of their community. Right. So that's not a different creature in Drintera. I mean, it is, but it's not. You would use the same rules, just erase the alignment. A lot of your stuff that you do is like with your gaming and stuff like that. It's, it's, there's a lot of a narrative progressiveness in it. And it's just like the idea of like really concentrating on character development and not necessarily role playing as an ROLE playing and not ROLL playing. There there seems to be a lot of people with what they'll do is like, as they're, they're writing a book as well. You see this in in the prose side of, of of the arts where they will have like a sensitivity reader to check, to see, is this Mm -hmm. good? Um, do you see something along in the tabletop role-playing scene as like, especially what you're into is um, uh, the prevalence or starting to be the introduction of, of that level of like sensitivity readers to say, Hey, is this, what is this world that I've created seems to be inclusive to um, all levels of, of players. Yes, very much. So I call mine a sensitivity editor i elevated their title uh and uh, i have been working with a professional 
sensitivity editor from the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, this is um, James Mendez Hodas who helped me with Maganomia, uh, my 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 first game, and I've been making an effort to recruit a diverse team of freelancers. I'm actually not turning anybody away um, if they, uh, and everybody gets a chance to try to write for Drinterra. And um, I hope I don't get too many (laughs) aspiring writers knocking on my door, but I can can bring on some more. Um, And uh, just actively asking for people from underrepresented populations, right? Underrepresented in the hobby. Um, to join us and to um, to take, you know, they're invited to bring their perspective and to um, to express their heritage and and put it into the world if they want to. Now that's not the only thing you do. So, um, you know, I have someone, um, I have a few people with um, Chinese heritage on. Um, um, the, the writing team, and they're not writing only about our fantasy China-like country, right. but they have the chance to present the people of that land with their voice, and it's very different than what I would have done. <laughs> okay, uh, So that's I find that really interesting. That's what I'm trying to do is to just invite um, diverse voices to express the world and what we'll get is something that is richer than most fantasy worlds and maybe gives a hint of approaching um the flavor of the real world right and, and so what are some of the things that you're you, so far um as for drinterra that you're you're really darn proud of as a okay. as a setting yeah. Well, one of the things that really worked was um, I, I looked at the team composition that we had and the, the standing that they had, the knowledge or heritage. Um, and some people, you know, were very, um, very big into, say, um, uh, Chinese literature, um, maybe not of Chinese heritage, but if they read a lot of Chinese books and spoke Chinese, right, that... Um, they're in a good position um, to write about. And um, one of the things I'm really darn proud of is that I decided at the beginning, I'm not going, uh, we're going to have a European-like fantasy place that's sort of Tolkien-like, that's relatable, but that's not the first thing I'm going to build. The first thing we're going to build is the Twin Moons Empire, which is like Tang, China. And having done that first um, made us think about the world from an east and west perspective Uh, and um, one of our freelance authors wrote about dragons and how different dragons are in twin moons empire and Nieri, which is our European style continent. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a hit. Um, the, the gods, I think we've done a really good job on the gods. Um, I started with a freelance writer who's a friend of mine. I've known for a long time. 
she used to teach mythology at university. Hmm. And I asked her to create the first few gods for our pantheon. And we've got gods that are plausible, that hold up, but are really different from um, the mythology that um, you know we as Americans learn in school. What are some of the other aspects of, of Drentera that you'll know that players are going to really gravitate towards? One of the big things is, yes, I'm drawing on heroic mythology where the heroes go on epic quests like the Odyssey or I'm talking about Greek mythology because that's what I know, Greek and Norse and a little bit of Egyptian and Celtic, um, where we talk about, um, you know, Orpheus's journey into the underworld and so on and do amazing things. And it's not all fighting monsters, but fighting monsters happens. The labors of Heracles, he fought a lot of monsters. Um, but it wasn't all fighting monsters. It was also cleaning the uh, stables. And to make a world where you can do these epic, heroic things, and at the same time, if you want to, have a plausible, um, complex, dynamic world uh, um Now that the series has ended, you know, uh, I hesitate to say I'm I'm drawing inspiration from George R.R. Martin, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of strength in the world building that he did. Right. And, um, you know, people were drawn to this plausible, complex, and often morally ambiguous world right this drentera is not a place where good and evil are encoded Hmm. and that's because i'm drawing on heroic mythology Um, the greek gods the norse gods they had enemies that were anti-gods but they didn't i think didn't have the concept of good and evil in quite the same way um, that that we've inherited right from Christianity and the cultural influence of Christianity. Your worlds you create are not, I wouldn't consider high fantasy. You don't have dwarves and elves and stuff like that. Is that the same thing with Drentera? You don't have specific like no, races um, or anything? We we do. Uh, Magnolia is historical fantasy, right? And Drentera is is high fantasy. It's something that's more approachable. Um, We're taking the geeky authors who have all this knowledge and passion for um, history and folklore and mythology and politics and economics, and they're writing all their cool stuff. Uh, I mean, just maximum geekiness uh, into the world. And I'm trying to wrangle them and make it playable Hmm. and make it accessible. It's looks, it's going to look like a Dungeons and Dragons world. Right. Uh, But I hope that it will be deeper and richer, uh, a literary quality world 
for mm-hmm. people who are into that sort of thing. That's where we're going with that. Mm-hmm. And um, how we're going to achieve that on a finite budget, right, in finite time, bears some discussion. <laughs> um, uh, there will be a free booklet to get you started as an appetizer. Um, Drinterra is going to be published as a periodical. I'm going to be wrangling these freelancers and making effectively an online magazine. Oh, cool. And I'm currently leaning toward Patreon as the vehicle for this. We'll use um, World Anvil for the publication patreon for the financing and the um blog of of the development and we'll see how that goes um i have big plans but right now i'm actually adjusting to the workload of wrangling a bunch of freelancers as they start to deliver great content and i have to edit it (laughs) so your, your initial idea, is this becoming bigger than you thought it was going to end up? Or is this becoming, um, or is it becoming more, more framed in something more specific than you thought it was going to be? It's, it, it is becoming bigger than I thought it was going to be. And we're, we are, um, we're starting shallow, um, mm-hmm. but with, uh, a, a hint or, um, a, a uh, teaser of depth, uh, which I hope will be stimulating, um, painting in, in some broad strokes. But we're doing some things at the beginning, like when we make a god, we're also creating a couple of myths. Okay. Um, where that god is involved, the things that they've done, and how they've affected people in the world. Bigger in that there's a lot to cover for, in order to meet expectations for D&D, um, you were asking about races, which we call lineages. Right. Um, you need dwarves, you need elves, you need humans. You, We're going to have orcs as a playable lineage because I want to, for lack of a better word, humanize orcs. Right. Uh, I, want, I want orcs to be people. Goblins are people. Right. Um, not necessarily the friend, you know, the, the orcs might not be friends with the elves who live next door, uh, but, uh, their, but their conflict isn't just because they're orcs and they're evil. The conflict would be from our geeky geopolitical, uh, geopolitical um, uh, backstory that we yeah. create. Okay. <laughs> Is there any specific like lineage or there's anything unique like that, uh, that you just like, wow, that's a great idea that one of the, as another writer came up with. Oh, uh, already. Yeah. Um, one of our writers came up with a desert tribe of orcs who practice ceremonial necromancy to, conjure up the spirits of their of their dad and keep them with them in uh in they can put them into 
um, talismans that they wear. So you can talk to your deceased relatives and they can put them into weapons. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, that's just, that's just a thing. And, um, we were reimagining elves a little bit because elves in Tolkien are really godlike. They're very superior beings. And I'm not, I think that there are plenty of stories out there, settings out there that have superior beings. That's not what we're going for. We're looking for a game where people can play characters. And so we're trying to not have superior beings. I don't believe in superior beings myself. <laughs> um, I mean, certainly not mortal superior beings. Um, so we had to re-describe elves to separate them from Tolkien, Tolkien's legacy. Because right. Tolkien had something very different in mind. Mm. Um, and what the author came up with is that elves have a magic power. Their magic power is empathy. And then think through the implications of that on their society. And it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, they become um, still mystical kind of spiritual people, but very much more relatable. So what's the timeline on this now, Andrew? Well, you know, uh, the timeline is uh, shifting to the right a little bit. Uh, I was aiming for having that the having uh, the first, say, monthly um, installment ready about now. And that's still more like six months away, I think. Um, but I want to ask people to follow our Patreon. Just in the past few weeks, I've started posting, mm -hmm. <laughs> right, too. And you can follow now on Patreon for free. Okay. Uh, and you can follow... Yeah, what we're doing, thanks for show, showing this. These are some recent posts. We've got Goblin Concept Art up there. Um, and, uh, yeah, here's an illustration of uh, one of our adventure locations, Red Pillar City, uh, that we've created. Uh, and I'm going to – I need to – be regular about updating this and getting the content into World Anvil. And when I'm doing it at a sustainable pace, uh, when I'm doing that at a sustainable pace, um, then I'll enable people to uh, support financially on, on Patreon. Right. Uh, and we will need to get, I mean, I've, I've got a budget figured out and so on. But mm. I realized that we have to create a lot of foundation mm. in order to give you something of value. Yeah. And I think there will be people who want to subscribe. If I get the pricing right, right. Um, I think that there are people who have an appetite for just the lore of a fantasy world. Now, we're not going to be providing a lot of stories. We're going to pro be providing what I call lore that is an invitation to stories. Okay. Yeah. 
because this is a world that's designed for adventures and it's designed for adventures with a group of player characters. Right. So the problems are problems that you need a group of people to solve. Okay. okay. And, so, Andrew, if people want to learn more about Drintera and learn more about Maganomia, where's the best place they could go to? Well, to learn about Drintera, um, probably the best is to follow the Patreon and to watch uh, as we blog about the creative team and what we're doing. And um, the shoestone.com website. Um, we'll give you a link to our Patreon, and that's where um, we will. You know, that's where you can find out about um, what's going on with Maganomia. Now, Maganomia, for those who didn't catch the earlier episodes, is the role-playing game of Renaissance Wizardry. It's a historical fantasy game based on 16th-century European magic as it was believed to be and (laughs) the the folklore of shakespeare so if you think about the fairies of a midsummer night's dream and the witches in macbeth right that's the setting of maganomia and i'll i'll stop plugging it um for for now uh because we're talking about drintera um but uh so the connection right is deep lore um where in Maganomia we research the lore and we exp- we just gamify it. Right. Um, in Drintera, we're unleashing our creativity and looking at lore, fascinating things in folklore and history, and and riffing on them and and making new stuff from that inspiration. It's a great concept. Um, I'm so happy to see the work you're doing uh, in, in a rules neutral setting. It looks pretty exciting. So, um, so Andrew, you're going to have to come back on when some testing of the system and seeing how it works in different systems. I will would love to, and let's uh, let's hope that it's less than another hundred episodes <laughs> before I'm ready to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It was great talking oh. to you again. Oh. oh, it was great talking to you, Barney. Thanks again for having me. So were you were you were you a, were you a on air personality or were you were you no I was an on air personality is is maybe the way to put it uh, I was a newscaster my freshman year in college so I read the news stories that we selected from the AP Wire the Talex machine back yeah. in the day I actually broke the story to my campus about the Berlin Wall coming down that's my claim mm-hmm. to fame. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah, it was an exciting day. It's a, it's a bit of a story how the broadcast unfolded because I mean, I came in in the morning, not knowing anything had happened overnight, but, uh, well, is there, so the, the people around your college can't, do they wear t-shirts to say, I heard about the Berlin wall from Andrew is they no, t-shirts no, they were sleeping. 
Um, it was at uh, my my broadcast went up at ten o'clock on Sunday morning. Oh, oh yeah. So yeah, in college, nobody's up at ten o'clock on a Sunday. No. I was. Yeah. I come in at seven to open the station. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you're. I did. 